gather round, circle up, fill the cup, spill the tea, just believe, just believe the diamond dogs are here, and that means that you're not alone. We get one shot at this life, and heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try, the diamond dogs are here. All right, so welcome to episode six. We're going to be talking uh, about some emotion at work, and there's a lot of it here in episode six. Uh, super positive emotion as we get introduced to a new player, which we'll hear about in just a second. So uh, we see Ted in this particular episode uh, struggling emotionally with the end of his marriage, but also excited by Richmond's first win. We see the press in England continuing to treat Rebecca badly because Rupert has found himself a new Bex. So there's there's old Rebecca and new Rebecca. That just opened some wounds. Jamie, this is pretty interesting here, uh, sees his power weaken with Danny Rojas, whose quote is what, Beth? Football is life. <laughs> so Danny <laughs> comes favorite. on. He's so excited. Uh, he's doing dribbling exercises, singing Danny Rojas, Danny Rojas, Danny, Danny Rojas. Um, <laughs> but the big thing that comes up in this is that he gets mysteriously injured uh, while he's out on the pitch by himself and feels like they're like, did you fall down? Did, did you trip over something? And he's like, no, something tripped me. And then they're the, it's kind of a Scooby-Doo episode a little bit here. Like the yeah. team's like, it's like somebody says, well, he did go into the training room uh, beforehand and everybody's like, no. And they basically uncover that this idea that the training room has a curse on it. And Ted really comes full on into great leadership mode here where he makes the team sacrifice something special to them to lift the curse. And even Jamie joins in. So it's pretty it's 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 pretty moving uh, as you see the team really coming together. It's also interesting to see what happens when power shifts and when your your thing that's always been the thing suddenly there's somebody else um, coming along who's maybe doing it better and how that affects you and yeah. affects the team. Yeah, I think there's an underlying theme in this episode of just attitude. And the attitude yeah. you bring to work and the, you know, extreme difference between how Jamie's showing up yeah. as a great player and how Danny's showing up as a great player is just such a, it's just an exceptional example of how that can play out on teams. So, yeah. And I think, I think one of the lessons that we're talking about is, and I like the way that you phrased it, that, that Danny, the football is life man is the anti Jamie. He's the anti Jamie. He really is like, he is everything that Jamie's not. He is. Yeah. passionate about football and approaches the whole thing with joy and runs full out and yeah you know embraces his team and is a great team you know like he's just the anti Jamie and he and I love that the because I think Jamie probably at one time and and this I think also comes up in leadership like you get into it because you really love it like th it's really the thing that you want to do but then over time, maybe you get jaded, your perception changes. And there's a great scene where uh, Jamie, 
you know, Jamie has said that he's, he's not going to practice. Right. So he's boycotting practice and he, and he goes out on the pitch and, and Ted has basically said, look, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to set up the cones. Yeah. Right. Uh, total humbling moment for Jamie. And even somebody on the team was like, you know, your second, second string now or something like yeah. that, which really, and so he's out on the field after pretty much everybody's left and he tries to shoot a goal and he winds up hitting the, the top crossbar and Danny shows up. He's like, Oh, great shot. I bet you did that on purpose. And then they get in, which of course Jamie didn't, but he plays it off like he did. And then they start this competition and you find out how good Danny really is. Um, Cause they then try to keep hitting the crossbar and they have this competition that goes, that goes back and forth, but it's just such a great juxtaposition of somebody who just loves the joy of the game and somebody else who's become sort of jaded and fallen into this trap of like, you know, I hear it's ego ego and it's also the, I think part of it too is a little bit of this like golden handcuffs deal, right? Like, Like I can't leave. I can't go do something else or I can't do it the way I used to because I'm, because I'm in this place. And, and here comes Danny just so excited and, and playing for the love of the game. And I, I love the way that you put it. He's the anti Jamie. Yeah. They couldn't be any more different than they are. Yeah, they really, they really, really are. So I love the. I want to dive into this moment that you alluded to where Ted ends up having Jamie set up the cones. The beginning of that scene is really the first time we see Ted get mad. Yeah. Like even when we, when he took Jamie out of the game, the episode before and benched him, he didn't do that with any sort of anger. He just did it. Mm-hmm. This time he gets kind of pissy with him mm-hmm. <laughs> and he shows some anger and he shows some emotion and he yells a little bit. And I think that's an interesting um, moment because if you watch the other players, mm-hmm. he, he gains some street cred in that moment. Yeah, he does. And I think, you know, we avoid emotions at work so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting conversation. I'll be excited to talk to our guest about this one today. Yes. Of like, when do you turn so that good. on? When yeah. do you turn it on? When's it appropriate to turn it on? Um, and when can it actually help your team when you show a little bit of, of that emotion? Yeah, I think. And, you know, he if you if you watch that scene, he goes over, he talks over and over and over about practice. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's that's part of it, too. Like this is we do this to get better. We do that. We're not just showing up for the big event. We're not just turning it on at this time. We're doing this because this is who we are as a team. We are going to continually do this until we get better. And the only way we can do that is if everybody shows up and, and he, he's in essence telling Jamie, like, we need you as much in practice as we do in the game. And yeah. I think that's also kind of a realization for Jamie to, he's, he's not ready to accept it because he doesn't, he still says that he can't do it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, you can see the team go, Ooh. And I, and I think again, I'm, I'm always going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this multiple times during this podcast, people, your teams, people around your teams, people in the company are always watching and listening. Yeah. And you have no idea what it is that they're paying attention to. It may be the thing that you're paying attention to or something totally different. And the team is finally noticing like Ted really stood up to yeah. 
this guy. And yeah, that and I it's think it's like this long game that he's been playing with getting Roy on board and mm-hmm. letting that, you know, relationship kind of simmer up. We talked about Ted's understanding of that Roy's the first domino. This mm-hmm. is where you really start to see some of the other dominoes fall on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they are also um, working to put Jamie in his place. That's a really great indicator of exactly what ends up happening in this episode, which is the team's about ready to come together. Right. This is about ready to be magic. Yep. And that it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, we've, we talked about this, like, I love a good messy team. Like I love the good messy team because I love this moment that's happening right now. Right. And that's why you get involved, right? Because you know that this moment's coming. It's coming. It's the other side of it. And it's worth the mess sometimes to get to this moment. That's about ready to happen, which is this team's going to be magic. It just going takes back the patience to, one of, to sit through that. Yes. You know? And go, goes back to one of my most favorite quotes uh, by Jack Canfield that everything you want is on the other side of fear. It's exactly right. It's exactly and right. That sets up, I think, well, this um this activity that's about to happen, right? So the 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 training room is cursed and everybody believes it. And, I love uh, the scene where they're telling Ted about the curse. And the funniest part is, you know, know none of them really say. at the beginning want to admit that they believe in the curse. You know, they're all being uh-huh. kind of, and Roy especially was like, no, this is, you know, I think he, in fact, uses his favorite curse word. And it's like, no, that's fucking stupid. And, yeah. um, and then Ted goes, you want to go in the treatment room? And he's like, fuck no, I'm not going <laughs> I love that scene because it's like he's not going to admit that he believes in it, but he's not going in that training room either. Such a right. Great Ted getting to, he could have just let the training room be cursed, right? Yeah. He could have just been like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not going in there either. Right. Yeah. Gone along with the proverbial wisdom of the day, but he's like, no, we're not doing that. So he comes up with a way to um, overcome the curse, which is that everybody, Everybody on the team, everybody, uh, everybody's supposed to bring something that means something to them that's really important and has a lot of meaning. So read into that. You are sacrificing something. You are giving something up. You are being vulnerable with your team. You are sharing why this thing is important to you. And they're all basically going to put it into a steel drum, and which, of course, I loved this part they're going to set it on fire, which I was really excited about. Cause you I'm love the about... part where coach beard's like, we should do this part outside. <laughs> and Ted's like, Ted's good like, call. Yeah. 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 Good call. Good, good, call. Call. good call. Cause they were going to, yeah, they were going to do and, it inside yeah. in the tree. Always practice proper fire that's safety, right. which right. includes uh, lighting a steel drum full of stuff. That's flammable outside. outside. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah, a good move. That's, good call. Yeah. Good call. So, um, and the importance of everybody being there, yeah. So Sam takes it upon himself. Nobody asks him to do this. He, he goes up to Rebecca's office and invites her to come to this. And, and he says, you know, if this is going to work, I think it's really important for us all to be there. And this is your team. And it's important that you be there. And again, it's another one of those moments where you see like the true Rebecca is in there and she's yeah. a good, good person and you can yeah. see it. And she's like, okay, I'll think about it for you, Sam. You know, like he, you know, really mm-hmm. pulls at her heartstrings and she yeah. does end up showing up, which is great. And, you know, I, th- I think also if, it, you know, if you are a leader and, and you're listening, we know because we work with leaders that it is lonely at the top and, and you sometimes feel disconnected from your team. And because you feel disconnected from your team, it's easy to say no to things like this because you don't feel like it's like, well, I'm already disconnected. It's just going to feel weird if I show up. 
quite the opposite. I think when you do show up, I mean, you can see when she comes in, everybody's like, whoa, like Rebecca yeah. showed up. That's a yeah. big, like talk about street cred, right? Like Ted got it for standing up to Jamie. She gets it for showing up yeah. at the, uh, the ritual burning of all the important things. And then at the very end, which I think is super fitting, we have Jamie show up as well. Yeah. And, um, and gets vulnerable and tells the team about why he brought what he brought and why it's important. And, and we get a little insight into the things that drive Jamie. One of the things I love about these types of events is that it, it, it winds up not becoming about the event. You know what yeah, I mean? Like absolutely. you wind up learning things about people that you just wouldn't know. And suddenly, you know, as you put those pieces together, you go, oh, Oh, I get why they do that oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. It's not because you're just a, you know, a little bitch prima donna. It's because <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, you are sort of, but what's driving that is this. And I find that when we as team members, as well as leaders can get to the why of why are people are doing things? Because again, I think we often through our own lens, through our own understanding, we mm. go, oh, well, they're doing that because of this or that, or they're doing that because this or that, when that could absolutely be the 180 degree opposite of what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just absolutely. not the thing. And well, and that's the magic of, you know, basically what happens here is a really accelerated version of something that you can do really slowly and that you've been advising since I think our first episode, which is just get, spend time outside of work with people. Don't waste a lunch. Don't, you know, like yeah. these are the, the getting to know someone on a personal level helps you un uncover those underlying motivations and it helps you understand people better. And when you do that, you can lead them more effectively. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what happens here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do think as, as much as we see good old Rebecca being the good person, she says, this is a team United. And then she releases Jamie yep. back to Manchester, yep, which totally sure blows things up. Yep. So she recognizes that it happened. She watches it. Yeah, and then because yeah. of her motivation, she decides yeah. at this moment, at the very end, she decides to trade him. Yeah. And we'll dig into that one more, more next episode, because yeah. uh, there's a lot that happens as a result of that. But um, one of the other things that really stood out to me is at the very end. So there's this, there's kind of this reveal moment after they burn the things that Danny's okay. And he, he runs out on the field, of course, football is life and is, has a bottle of alcohol and they all start drinking mm -hmm. it. And again, it's this moment where you really see the, the team come together. And then they all, as they all walk off the field later, Danny kind of calmer says football is life. Mm -hmm. And it, you see like the other meeting of it, which is, yeah. yeah, it's great. And it's joyful. And definitely that's his approach to it, but also sometimes it's hard. And I think that's also a really great metaphor for leadership. Like yeah, you can 100%. approach it as, you know, with joy and with a lot of energy. And I think that's important, Yeah. Um, but it is hard and it is just like life is hard sometimes. And, and there's going to be ups and downs to it. And we have to kind of embrace both in order to um, stay in it in the long, the long game anyway. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And, and so I think as, as people who care a lot about leadership and a lot about showing up authentically at work and this episode being all around that emotion at work and um, how to show up and, and how to do that. Uh, I think we would just like to encourage you as you're listening to this, is there a place where you could show more emotion at work? Is there a place where you could um, 
be more real. So many of us, I think we're like, well, if, if I pull that part of the curtain back, then, you know, that, and I, I, I hear leaders say that all the time. And, and when I, but I'll say, but, but when I see them actually do it, the exact opposite happens and their team comes together in ways that they would never expect. And so let's acknowledge that, that leadership is life. <laughs> leadership is really joyful and fun, but leadership is also scary. And so how can we, how can we really, especially in the midst of a pandemic and especially in the midst of just all the struggles of things that are going on with people, um, how do we allow the space for emotion? And I can't wait for our, our guests to, to dig into that with yeah, us today. She's for sure going to help us navigate it. All right. So today on Diamond Dogs, we are so ridiculously excited to welcome our good friend. And I'm not even going to tell you any of the stuff she does because one, I would not do a service to it. And two, there's so much badass stuff there that I want her to say it herself. So I would like to introduce the Diamond Dogs listening tribe to our good friend, Liesl Murtis. Liesl, can you just take it away and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, I'm friends with Jason and Beth, which is great. <laughs> but uh, in my other time, I'm a workplace empathy <laughs> consultant, which means I get to help teams and companies really skill their people up in empathy and connection because it is an essential skill set that can be taught. And we've relegated it to just a personality trait that some people have and some people don't, but really it's an essential competitive advantage that affects your productivity, your attraction, your retention, and it's more important than ever as people are facing disruptive life events. I'm also a wife and a parent to four children with big, big emotions. Our house is roiling with them. So this, one would this conversation expect. is timely. So I want to just jump in right away. And because this is, I'm going to share a phrase that bothers me. And I, I want to know how you think about it in terms of what you just described. First of all, I have been a front row uh, observer to your work and what you do. And I just want to let everybody who's listening know that if you are looking for somebody who can come in and really help your organization with this skill set that is so so unbelievably needed, you really need to get in touch with Liesl. Question though, based on what you just said, is how often do you run into this phrase, which I hate, of, well, that's a soft skill. So what do you, sorry, what do you say to people who like, when you tell them what you do and their pushback is, well, that's a nice to have, that's a nice soft skill. Well, just uh, on the level of words and phrasing, since words have power, it's not a soft skill. It's a human skill for mm. humans that work with humans, which is all of us. Um, because, I mean, the capitalist deception is that we are only what we produce. And really, that's never been true. It leads to burnout. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to, especially in a tight labor market, like you will suffer for running your company that way. So just in the phrasing, let's talk about human skills. And also, usually it's an invitation to a broader conversation. Um, sometimes people are asking because they really, they want to be able to have data points to make the case. And the great news is that social scientists and researchers are really amassing the data right now that proves the case that we have known intuitively. It does matter and it does affect your bottom line. So then we can have a data conversation. Sometimes people are saying that because 
you know, it's, they just feel like they're not good at it. And it brings up a lot of insecurities and shame. And like, maybe I've Mm -hmm. tried once and I totally failed. And that's another conversation for people who, you know, they've just been taught that it shouldn't be in their purview. And they think I can't do it. It's too hard for me. And for high achievers, like that's an uncertain place to be. Yeah. And I think there, there was also a period of time when in like leadership training, even I remember early on when I was starting out, they would say, you know, don't get too close to your employees. You know, they're don't get too close. Don't get to know them too well. Don't be friends with them outside of work. I remember even at the time being like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. (laughs) But I feel like we are finally seeing the shift out of, wait a second, that didn't work. That was not effective. Well, and something that's been really helpful with that sort of a conundrum, because there are kind of polarities of people. There are people that this is totally new to them. And then there are people who like, they are very um, empathetic. They're very available and they have work to do around boundaries with this. And there's Mm. just the legal consideration. Like there actually are reasons why you don't want to get too deep into people's stuff. And with all of those like um, kind of data points to ping off of, I like introducing the concept of a workplace first responder because in the physical realm, we have this category of people that um, you don't have to go to medical school to be a workplace first responder. You do like a day of training and then you have a basic set of skills that is applicable across situations to help stabilize someone to your next level of care. And they know what they are and they know what they aren't. They're not orthopedic surgeons. They are not trained counselors. They're not ambulance drivers. They're first responders. And that's the concept that I wanna work with in the psychological and emotional realm. We can create workplace first responders with a basic skill set to help stabilize someone to a next level of care because you shouldn't be their pastor or their rabbi or their counselor or their therapist but you can be helpful in the moment. And maybe that's what they need. Like when somebody sprains a knee, maybe they need a brace and an ice pack. And that's different than blowing out your ACL. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. I think you, man, I feel like we could do like seven episodes on the stuff that you do, Liesl, seriously. Um, But so I'm trying to put myself in the in the shoes of somebody who's, you know, been following along with Ted and, you know, here's a guy who's being his authentic self and he's doing what he feels like he's supposed to do, but, but all of us have this boiling point. Right. And, and all of us, um, I think whether consciously or subconsciously, we get to this point where it's like, we need to, we need to kind of let it out. Um, I think COVID has definitely turned up the pressure cooker, um, on all the things that are happening, right? I see all these posts that say, just remember that everybody's going through something. So, you know, be kind and have grace and all those kinds of things. What would you advise or how would you approach, you know, the person who says, well, I can't, I can't be myself at work. I can't be my authentic me. Um, I just, I just can't. Um, I would imagine you hear stuff like that from managers, right? They can't, like, I don't want to be vulnerable with my team because then they're going to know, like, they're going to think I'm soft or I'm weak or I don't know everything. Like, so, so where do you start? What, what would you say to somebody who comes to you like that? Well, there's an investigation of some of the formative messaging, right? Like, I can't show this. What's, what's the fear? I'll be rejected. Um, I won't be popular. And I I talk about, um, I introduced the concept of empathy avatars in my training. So these are these default positions that we take up when faced with somebody else's pain. 
like a TED manifests some of the energy at different points of what I term like a, a cheer up Cheryl, which is, hey, we're just going to look on the bright side and we're going to, you know, see what's possible here. And, you know, they're, they can be a gift to organizations in that way because, um, you know, they're, they're like providing emotional ballast. And yet it's also a way of sidestepping kind of dealing with some of this stuff. Um, sometimes he can be like a buck up Bobby occasionally, which is like, love hey, there's, there's a the job way. to be done. We just got to keep going, like keep your head down. Um, and yet there's only so long that we can maintain that. Um, like, like the book that we were referencing, which is a great one by Bessel van der Klerk with the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. Like if we keep avoiding those unwieldy emotions, they actually will manifest themselves um, sometimes in explosive blowups, sometimes in uh, pains and aches and things that just seem so unexplained and they'll take their toll. So there's a, there's an important reckoning that happens for Ted uh, in that also sometimes, you know, to circle back to your question, managers are expressing that and it's, you know, um, it represents the culture that they are a part of and dysfunction. Like maybe that culture has punished those sorts of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is a question of leadership from the very top to investigate. Sometimes companies come to me and they're like, Oh, you have to work with our middle managers. It'll be so helpful. And I have to say back to them, like they, they have so many Mm -hmm. problems and to say, you will do so much more damage if you only run them through it of what you're communicating, because it's either like, Oh, connection only matters for you guys, or (laughs) we're already so good at this that we don't need any help. So yeah. Boy, is that true. I'm curious too, like what, if, if you think about this moment that we see in, in this episode, and I know you're a fan of the show, so I can go deep, but this, this yeah. moment where, you know, Ted really does kind of step out of these avatars that he mm-hmm. typically is and is real vulnerable and real um, present in exactly how he feels in the moment. When do you think that's a plus, you know, is it ever okay to show the kind of anger that he does in this episode? If you think about that in like a corporate setting, when is that a win? When is it just inappropriate? Regardless, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. Well, let's step away from Ted as himself, who we love. And we're like rooting for him to actually be able to like engage with his stuff and think about just anger in the workplace and men in general, specifically white men. Um, There's a very limited range of emotions that we tend to be able to show in the workplace. You know, um, everybody can be happy. We really like you to be happy and productive. And it's actually like a fairly narrow segment that uh, feel like they are uh, allowed to have access to anger. You know, if you talk to a black woman and say, is it okay for you to be angry at work? You know, by by and large, they would say, absolutely not. I'm going to be mm. so penalized for that. So um, the truth is that in an American context, and let's also say probably in a British context, like that is allowable and accessible. The world of sport, especially male sport, has its own sort of, you know, mm. parameters that make that okay. Yeah, anger, though. You better be doing some really good repairs on the other side. I was introduced to a a term yesterday in a training I was sitting in on, um, on somatic abolitionism by Resma Medicam. And he talked about being energetically irresponsible, that you take your energy, that you are not metabolizing and processing 
with some of your own tools of self-soothing or being able to go to a community that supports you. And instead of doing some of the work to not like get over it or stuff it, but to like ask the question, why am I feeling this way? What is contributing to it? Oh, it's because of my divorce and I'm feeling lonely and overwhelmed. Um, instead of doing some of that metabolic work, we are putting it out to others without their, their consent or their awareness and the damage that that does. He calls it a dirty pain as opposed to clean pain. Mm. And I think that's a very interesting concept. Yeah. And again, we are meant to metabolize these experiences in community but if we're consistently showing a pattern of being energetically irresponsible, that's an opportunity to really be doing some more of the work, and which, I, I, which Ted encounters later on yeah, as the yeah. series progresses. Yeah. I really appreciate that. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Liesl, and your approach, and I think we've already heard it several times, is like we present to you something and you're like, how would you do this? And your immediate response is like, well, let's step back from that. Because I'm like, I'm like, well, let's step into that chat, you know, like, yeah. and uh, I just, it's such, it's such for, for somebody with a Tigger personality like me that just likes to hop right in. Um, it's so good. And, and I, what you said really helped me remember something that my therapist said to me um, in 21 um, when we were talking about anger. And he said, he said, don't ever forget that anger anger is a shield and a mask for mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that's underneath. And I had never heard that before. And, you know, so he said it and I kind of, you know, like I'm doing right now in front of you, I kind of like sat back and bristled. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Kind of angrily. <laughs> and, uh, what are you trying to imply? What do you, what do you do? Are you trying to say I'm angry? Uh, you know? And so it, and as often when I have therapy sessions, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get in, you know, before the session, I'm like, I don't really have much to talk about. And then, you know, he'll ask me a question or I'll make a, a comment or something. And I'm just feeding on that for like the next week. And I, so I started to get to what was behind some of the anger. Ooh, when you talk about doing the mm -hmm. work, like doing some yeah. deep work on the other side. Oh, wow. I just thought like, I just thought anger was anger. Like, turns out, no, it's like a, it's a boiling pot underneath there with a lot no of stuff kidding. in it. Yeah. And if you've ever looked at the, um, the feeling wheel, there's like a, a, yes. a resource yep. out there that's really, really great. And if you look at what's under anger, like the words that are really under there, it's fascinating because it's betrayal and it's, we'll put that in the show notes. Frustration. Yeah. I will definitely. It's so good. That. I have it up on my wall. Same. Um, yeah. And it's great though, because like sometimes my seven-year-old will be like, Oh, yeah. I talk about my feelings. Let's go look at it. And oh, I've I been love personality. that. That's remarkable work for him. Yeah. Gosh, that's true. I know Liesl, you've been, um, spending a lot of time with clients the same, same way Jason and I have that are struggling. You know, there's been a lot to navigate as a leader the last couple of years, as we deal with kind of collective trauma as a, as a world really. And I'm just curious, do you have any like tips that are, that would be really helpful for leaders as they try to support their teams? Yeah, there's a number of tips. Let's talk about beginning with skilling up your managers because managers really should be your frontline people for this. Um, and all too often, like disruption, employee support, we can turf it to HR, which leads HR feeling totally overwhelmed and really like disrupts connection that can happen within teams because 
There can be um, a posture of annoyance, irritation, just wanting to get past it. Like, when will everybody just be okay? Mm -hmm. But I also like framing it as an opportunity. This is actually an opportunity. If you don't mishandle this, if you do it well, if you can actually be a present, supportive place for somebody when things go sideways, which has happened to all of us, like the goodwill that is garnered towards you, um, it's just huge. So... Uh, at the nuts and bolts level, for managers to be giving consistent attention on a weekly basis to checking in with your people. And I like using the stoplight check-in method. It's basic. It's easy to remember. Kick off your meetings by asking people to check in with their energy. Green, they're ready to go. Yellow, they're there with some, you know, like apprehension. Uh, red, it is a really hard day. Uh, if you are a manager, try like offering a little bit more behind where you are. You might say, I'm yellow today. I am schooling my kids from home. It's really hard to try to do third grade math and all the other things that people don't have. They can just say a color. Sometimes that's where they're at. But it allows you to know if somebody is red and they are like withdrawn and quiet in a meeting, it allows you not to read too much into the situation. It yeah. also allows you as a manager to follow up afterwards. And a follow-up can sound like this. Hey, I know that you said that you were read in the meeting. I just wanted to circle back. Um, is there anything that would be helpful for me to know right now or a way that I can support you today, especially? I love that. You know, that's getting better information. Um, also, you know, if you are in a managerial or an HR position, this is another just basic tip. Don't say, take all the time that you need when somebody has something really hard happen. First and foremost, because you don't actually mean it. Like that's not true. If someone needed two years, you wouldn't be able to give it to them. And secondly, it actually puts the onus on the disrupted person because they, they know intuitively that you don't mean it, but they don't actually know how much time they have that they can be present. And it, and it introduces uncertainty. Instead, yeah. be able to say to them, you know, hey, for the next 72 hours, don't check your phone. Don't check your email. We're going to regroup at that time. We're going to talk about next steps. And that puts you back in the position of being able to be the more stable, supportive person, um, which is the reality of the dynamic. It also gives you time to check with HR if you don't know the yeah. time that you can give or you need to, like, get more information. So um, there are many other tips, but those are just two basic ones yeah, to gosh, take away. Also, those. final note. So this is like a whole training in and of itself. But let me just say <laughs> that... There is a lie of being perfect in these things. People don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to screw up these moments. And that leads to all kinds of like hesitation. Oh, I don't want to say it wrong. I don't want to do it wrong. Ah, and it, it leaves people stuck. Here's a very basic phrase. If you're confronted with something where you think, oh my gosh, I don't know what that is. I've never experienced that. What do I do? What do I say? Just be able to say, I am so sorry you're going through this. Yeah. Or oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot. Like acknowledge it and you don't have to rush into like fix it, question it, cheer them up, all those things. Like just full stop. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Yeah. It's a great one to just have in your back pocket. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, Liesl. Well, you know, I could talk to you, you know, for four hours a day, I feel like. And first just enjoy getting to spend some time with my friend, but also every time I talk to you, I learn something new and I appreciate that so much. Yeah. 
the thing that I love about Ted Lasso and, you know, to come back to the anchoring part for anyone who loves that show, there are some of the most genuine heartfelt apologies of people looking at their stuff and being able to make amends. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Almost every episode, there's like, there could be a whole podcast on (laughs) just the apologies of Ted Lasso of different characters. When you miss someone and you will, when you are, you know, energetically irresponsible, or if you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I could have supported that someone better. I didn't. To really be able to go back and say, you know, I'm sorry. I I missed you in that yeah. moment and deal with you well. I don't want to do that again. You know, declaring that intention, it is amazingly powerful how far just a heartfelt apology can go. Yeah. Boy, is that the truth? Couldn't agree more. Tell us where our listeners can find you. You have so many great places for people to follow yeah. along. Check out my website. It is lieselmurtis.com. Uh, also connect with me on LinkedIn. There's tons of great content that's really helpful specifically for the workplace. Uh, again, that's Liesl Murtis. Uh, I'm also the host of a podcast myself, the Handle with Care Empathy at Work podcast. Um, there's season one and season two. We talk about disruptive life events. We talk about what it looks like to handle people well, what it is to miss them. And there's really actionable tips at the end of each episode in how to skill up in this way in the workplace. Uh, you can also just find me occasionally uh, around the coffee shops of the greater Indianapolis area. So feel free to run into me there. As well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I can't wait until the next time I get to run into you. Um, thanks again, Liesl, for sharing all of who you are with, with the world. We need you bad right now. Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the Diamond Dogs Podcast or wherever you like to listen.